0: Thank you all very much for coming um, and welcome to tonight's uh, Satorial Stories in Conversation. Um, I'll do introductions in more detail in a moment, but for the time being, please join me in welcoming Henry Holland.
1: <laughs> Still sat under a keyboard, yeah, so. I'm
0: afraid you will be a complete. Accompanying- this is
1: definitely exposing how it retouches on that one. <laughs> <laughs> probably minimize it now. So. <laughs>
0: Um, Great, so thank you all very much for coming. Uh, My name is Susanna Cordner, and I'm a Senior Research Fellow of Archives here at LCF um, and therefore I run our fashion collections and alongside those collections we're currently doing a lot of public programming focused on getting uh, people engaged with the idea of object-based study and research in the fashion industry, so Satorial Stories is all about that remit. So with each of these in conversations we work in, um, we invite in someone who works in or with fashion and we ask them to talk about how they use objects in uh, work and basically look at their different practices and design processes. So today we're joined by Henry Holland, um, the brilliant British fashion designer. So to start with Henry, it would be really great if you could talk about your own practice and just briefly introduce what you do and how you got here.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, so I have a fashion label called House of Holland, which I started uh, 10 years ago now. Um, with these t-shirts, which you can see in front of me. Um, I, but I actually came to design in a kind of slightly different route to uh, normal. I was just explaining to you how I was rejected from LCF when I tried to apply here, <laughs> which is really nice of them to invite me now. <laughs> <laughs> To spend my evenings uh, with them instead. No, um, I uh, I went to university to study journalism uh, because uh, I didn't I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do to be honest. And I think it's a really difficult task at seventeen, eighteen because you put so much pressure on yourself. You're like, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life, and you're just like, but I don't know what I want to be or who I am or anything. So. I did journalism with the idea that it was quite broad based and I could, uh, you know, I could actually learn a skill which I could then utilise to write about uh, different things. After four days realised I was in the wrong place <laughs> and I applied here for uh, fashion communications which I was promptly rejected from uh, because the course was already full and already started so they were like oh you can come back next year and apply if you like and I'm far too impatient for that. <laughs> Um, But I actually I think that was a blessing, really, because that gave me drive and focus to try and get somewhere in fashion Um, and not having a kind of the word in my um, degree really pushed me to do that on my own of of my own accord. So I would do work experience interning anywhere and everywhere that had the word fashion in the title like and ended up in a fashion cupboard at a teen magazine, which was actually a cupboard. Uh, not a room like most magazines, um, and uh, and yeah, and I, I stayed there. And, and as soon as I graduated, I was made fashion editor of Smash Hits magazine, which I'm sure lots of people remember fondly. But it was pretty crappy when I was there, um, and uh, and yeah, and it was the best job in the world, and I absolutely loved it, and it was the most fun ever, and I couldn't believe people got paid to do what we were doing on a daily basis. On my first day as an intern, we were called into a conference room to discuss Blue's new video. And I was like, is this an actual meeting? (laughs) I was like, this is actually what I do at home. Like pasta bake with my friends, sat on my bed. Like, you're being paid for this. So I was like, okay, well, I found my career. never need to leave. Um, And uh, and it was then, and then, when I was at a different teen magazine called Bliss, uh, teaching girls how to snog on the back of their hands, I um, I started making these T-shirts, um, and it was really uh, some. It was something for me to wear, for me and my friends to wear. That was literally it. it was I never foresaw it being anything other than that? I never foresaw it being this big uh, sort of business thing. It was just literally something that I knew that I wanted to wear to club nights I used to go to and nightlife uh, places. And so I made them in the sort of aesthetic that I would personally want to wear them. And um, and yeah, they kind of created a, a new career for me and a new direction for me almost instantly. And two of my friends uh, wore them for the end of their catwalk shows sort of when they took their bows. And then that was how they first got seen by the industry. And um, and then the next day, I was at Bliss magazine and got a phone call from Sarah Moa at American Vogue to write about them. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, and so, yeah, within three months, I'd quit my job in magazines because I, I saw there was potential with this, and I wanted to kind of run with it as far as I could. Still running, um, <laughs> trying to run away from it a bit now. No, uh, and uh, and yeah, and so I've kind of and um, we've built the business, and you know. Evolved it from being a t-shirt line into a fully fledged ready to uh, wear line. menswear and women's wear and accessories and yeah. all sorts.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. So you've explained where that initial design idea came from. But it'd be really interesting to hear, as you said, you've now expanded your line. And we'll mm. be talking more about that later. But it'd be nice to hear what your design process is now. Does it still come sure. from what you want to wear personally, <laughs> what you want to put
1: your friends? Well, in? not a cross dresser so <laughs> publicly. <Yeah. laughs> um, so no, I uh, I love Telling stories, and I love that about my job. I love that about fashion. I love that, um, you know, I love the characterization of fashion. I love that by what you put on your body, before you open your mouth, when you walk into a room, you can tell people so many things about yourself. I love movies. I love films. I love watching films with the sound off and trying to figure out the characters, because Mm. that's amazing costume design. I think I want to be a costume designer, essentially. Um, Yeah. I think that's
0: what most fashion historians really secretly (sighs) Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to be a, a costume designer for like really trashy films. Um, yeah, so, so I love telling stories. So my design process is very much about, yes, it's all about the House of Holland customer, who is our woman, you know, what does she want to wear? What does she buy? How does she wear it? How does she put it together? But essentially, it's about telling a story around that person and about those personal attributes something that is, you know, very true to the brand's DNA and to the codes and everything else that we've developed over time so that, you know, it stays true and it stays authentic. But it's about putting that woman, that customer into a certain situation. And I love telling that story through the collection. Um, and that's the best thing about fashion for me. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's very essential for Everyone here, if you do end up going out into <coughs> the industry and working in fashion, you do need to remind yourself on a regular basis you have the best job in the world. <coughs> Especially if you work in design, because you literally sit down, not all day, every day, because that would be really too much fun, but like, you know, conjuring up ideas and thinking of something in your head, and then you spend the rest of your time turning those th- ideas and thoughts into a reality, which is just so rewarding and so uh, thrilling, really. Um, and then Seeing other people, you know, take that on and kind of respond to that and buy into that and like you know, wear your stuff and put it you know incorporate into their own lives and their own stories. I was it's just so rewarding.
0: Yeah, that's a really lovely perspective to still have on it ten years in. Yeah, I mean I struggle
1: most days, (laughs) but that's why I'm reminded. That's why I'm reminding myself.
0: Um, so, in that design process, do you ever use archives or collections or museums, say, for inspiration points?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I've been to the V&A uh, archive a few times, um, which is just amazing, and they're so great in there, and You can you email them, you know, your reference points, and they'll they'll pull out I think sort of six to twelve uh, key pieces from the archives, and the um, the people that manage the archives and then know everything back to front. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. If, if we once we've got to a certain point <coughs> in, the, in the collection and we know what that narrative is and what that story is, we want to tell at that point we might like go to a museum or go to an archive and sort of do some research on, on actual physical pieces. Um, but mostly it's around building that story and building the, the character sort of attributes of, of the woman that season. And that's you know that can be done in so many different ways. I think, um, in terms of like general uh inspiration and and that kind of thing it's like i think if you're a creative person you're a bit like a sponge i think that's what makes you a creative person is seeing something and having the brain where you could see it differently Mm. in or in your head better. Yeah, reimagine it. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah, re it. I yeah. think, so if you, you know, if you see something, some people, like, it's quite hard for me to understand, but some people's brains don't have that, that thing where they look at something and be like, oh, that would be great, but if you just did that and just did that and tweaked mm. that and changed that and did that, which some people apparently don't have, which must be quite distressing. <laughs> um, cause you, yeah, you don't think you're better than everyone <laughs> um, So, yeah, it's, um, in terms of objects, yeah we definitely we definitely do do that, but it's I like to do that I don't like to do that too early. Mm. I like to do that further along in the process. you know the, the, the first start of the process when creating a collection is is the, the narrative and the story behind it and the characterization of the woman that, for that season and then we'll start to drill that down into certain objects and pieces and you know we'll go to maybe go to the VNA and, and look at some stuff.. Yeah.
0: So, is there a particular period or kind of object type or anything that you've particularly looked at on those visits? Or will it varies so much from collection to collection.
1: Yeah, it varies so much. The last time I went, we were doing 1920s um, uh, uh, flappers and slappers is what they called it in the review. It was 1920s <laughs> meets 1970s groupies, uh, and so those are two. Like the 20s was the period that we went to the VNA to look at, and you know, look at some amazing embellishments and beading. Um, and like just handwork on surface design, which was just incredible, mostly on accessories actually. And their feet were so small. I don't know how they danced around. They would have, like you'd fall over, it's like you're on <laughs> pegs. Um, and so we, we actually went to look specifically at that and there was this amazing, uh, it was basically like a silk puffer jacket that was all kind of all quilted and, and created these amazing shapes. It was kind of like this sleeveless jacket. Um, so, yeah, we, w- we went specifically to look at the, the 20s part because there's very there's not as much good stuff. I mean, my mum's an antiques dealer, actually, and she mm. found me this huge pile of uh, 1920s magazines um, at an antiques fair, so we, we used a lot of that for, for reference as well, mm. which was really nice. That's brilliant.
0: Um, we've talked a little bit about how you've changed practice within this theme, mm. um, and then now you're edging into a new one, and we we're actually talking about that um, Stage. Mm-hmm. So now, as well as doing um, women's wear and men's wear design, mm. you also work with interiors, and furniture design. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about how changing into a new object group or mm. kind of design group, how that experience has been, and how much you think those practices translate into each other?
1: Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, that doing the interior, the, the interior stuff, I did. I just done my second collection of interior stuff. Um, it's it's all about learning and growing and learning new skills, working in different fabrications, different techniques. Like I've never made a rug before, so you know that whole process is like, it's really informative, and I love that learning curve about what I do. You know, even if it's something as simple as working in a new fabrication, like definitely you're definitely improving and growing on your your knowledge base when you're working, um, and um, yeah, th- there's there's definitely an element of like ego about it because I think you know when seeing your aesthetic translated into different product categories is really it's like it's thrilling it's mm. quite exciting to see so it was really uh, excited to work in uh, the homeware thing and I just bought a house so it's quite handy to have a discount <laughs> um you know timely <laughs> um so uh, yeah it's 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 a it's it's a it's a similar process because but it's still very much, still very much around the narrative side of things you know because it's very much about print and color and fabrication and um, and and embroideries and you know execution and those kind of things and all of the elements that we used in the um, the homeware collection were all elements from the ready-to-wear collection so for both collections the first one was uh, Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson novel, and then the second homeware collection was uh, in relation to our um, sort of gingham florals sort or of gypsy story, and using lots of Elsa Hosk uh, embroidery, uh, not embroidery, patchwork uh, techniques, which were uh, home homeware techniques which we referenced for the ready-to-wear and then brought back. So um, yeah, it was it's it's same same but different, yeah. I suppose. Um, and it's you know it's less about creating uh, the the narrative around that woman and that customer by her actual outfit, and more about sort of that just more in a kind of more objective kind of object mm-hmm. process, and then. Yeah, that's nice.
0: But it still sounds like, you know, rolling back to what you said about films earlier on. and Yeah. You're still kind of creating a whole look in a way. So yeah. You're picturing your wearer in this finished setting and scene. And
1: the yeah, definitely. Stuff. And then, what you know, when we shot it with the Homewire collection, when we shot it with the Ready to Wear collection, you know, together with the model and everything, it sort of, it worked really well. And it just mm. kind of, it sort of evolved that story and just kind of, you know, continued it.
0: Very nice.
1: Uh, Is this my jewellery that's knocking on the thing? Oh, yeah, Ooh. sorry. <laughs> I'll give you a moment to get into
0: um, If we, uh, after that, now that you've said about evolving style, perhaps we can move on to um, what you, Henry described just before we came on as the show and tell section. where We're going to look at um, what he's kindly yeah. brought with him. Um, so. Perhaps if we start with just a basic introduction to the objects, what do we have? Where are they sure. from? Um, sure.
1: Do you so these are... Um, when I first started my T-shirt business, I started with four designs, uh, and these were um, the evolution of... In fact, that's not the right one, so I'm not going to show that one. <laughs> um, we started with uh, four designs, uh, sat around with me and my friends getting uh, rather drunk. Pre-lash, I think they call it, before going <laughs> to uh, Boombox, and uh, and we sat around thinking about these. The, I had I'd had this idea about making T-shirts with uh, fashion designers' names on because they were my rock stars at the time. You know, they were the people that I idolised, and you know, I just moved to London bright lights, big city. I was so excited. I didn't even know there was a fashion scene until I got here, um, and. So after a while, and coming up with quite a few slogans which were definitely unwearable, because they were so filthy, we um, (laughs) sort of drilled it down to four different slogans, uh, which were "You Who Gareth Pugh, which is this one here, uh, get your freak on Giles Deacon, do me daily Christopher Bailey, and cause me pain Hedy Slimane. (laughs) And and so these uh, are the two, Uh, this is Giles Deacon and this is Gareth Pugh. Um, And these two particular ones of those four um, were the ones that started my career in in fashion, really, because um, I went to... Gareth uh, is a friend of mine, was a friend of mine as well. And uh, so I gave him one of each because I was like, be rude not to, seeing as though your name's all over them. Um, And I went to his show at Fashion Week. I feel like a nana. Yeah,
0: all tucked in. (laughs) Um,
1: I went went to his show at Fashion Week. And uh, I was sat on the floor with uh, his housemates and they were like, oh, she was like, oh, Gareth's got one of your T-shirts on today. And I was like, what? And I was like panicked the whole time. I was like, oh my God, is he going to like come out wearing it at the end? Um, And he did. And that was literally because he'd been in the studio all night and hadn't had a chance to go home and get changed. It was definitely not a (laughs) considered idea. Um, But then the next day I got a call uh, through from... um, Uh, Giles and he wanted to wear the Gareth Pugh one because he'd seen that as well as like a sort of a nod. Mm. Um, And my housemate was walking in the show, so I kind of got the message through that way. And so then he wore this T-shirt the next night. um, And I was actually on some scaffolding across the road because I couldn't get into the show. And so (laughs) I was with Agnes's boyfriend on some scaffolding trying to look through the window. Um, And Giles is actually quite shy, annoyingly. So his wave is like, (laughs) <laughs> from behind a big wall, so I didn't get to see. Um, but yeah, so these two, and then the next day was when I got the call from Sarah, uh, Sarah Moore from American Vogue. So these two uh, t-shirts here are actually what started my, my career, uh, this part two, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and you can. This one is actually uh, one of the original ones because you can tell because I, the, I this is what I, I had no idea about branding or anything. These were name tapes from like boarding school name tape companies, <laughs> and I just made them in gold lorex on black <laughs> ribbon instead of like the normal black on white. That was how I did my branding.
0: That's amazing. Um,
1: so that, and then this one actually is uh, a reissue, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah.
0: So if anyone's collecting them, they need to look out for the name tag. Edition. Yeah,
1: that one. That would be one of the first everyone. You can kind of see, because I think that's bled on it a little bit. My archive <laughs> needs work.
0: <laughs> that's great. But, um, so with archives in mind, would you be happy with something like this representing you in a Do you consider this your design legacy? Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, they're not massively... Uh, in terms of design, they're not like something you know hugely conceptual, but it, and you know it's fair, it's much more about the wording. So when people talk about my transition, from, my transition, I'm like Caitlin, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. When people talk about my transition from. Uh, journalism through to design I see these as being actually quite transitional because I just bought these t-shirts and printed some words on them so actually it was quite a journalistic skill was you know creating the rhyming couplets mm. and create you know creating the slogans which is actually what makes these attractive I mean the color palette obviously is is a part of that but um, these pieces are, are that those the ones that actually were are right in the middle for me of those two different worlds mm. um, be- and you know, because I didn't, I didn't design the T-shirt. God, I wish I did. Imagine how rich. <laughs> um, who did design the T-shirt? Do we know? No one.
0: I've got a friend okay. in the audience who curated a display at the VNA. Oh really? Through the T-shirt, so maybe Kristen can tell you later. All right. Can you ask a question now? later and yeah. tell me? <laughs> is the, man, is the man
1: in the hat and glasses. Yeah, he's the Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to you later. Um, so, so yeah, I see these as being kind of quite transitional pieces uh, from that di- that journalist uh, journalistic background and, into design background. Mm. So it
0: links your two practices, which is very convenient yes. for me in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Seamless. Yeah. <laughs> so you spoke about how the uh, slogans that you came up with, one, fueled by views and friendship, but two, yes. the idea that the people you were talking about and making these rhyming slangs about yeah. were um, your rock stars. Yeah. And you were kind of doing that almost from the edge of the industry, from your scaffolding view into the yeah. shows. And then for your 10th anniversary last year, you yeah. did a relaunch mm-hmm. of the T-shirt with a whole new set of slogans. I did. And I wondered what that experience was like now that, to be honest, they were probably your friends that you were, coming yeah. So good I, to w- I
1: was a little bit nervous about it to be honest. I was more nervous. I think um, the fact that I didn't study fashion, I didn't go, go to design school. I to talk about it quite often as is is being like ignorance is bliss. You know, I never, I didn't, I never got told how to do anything, and I also never got told how not to do anything. Mm. So I've always just done things in a way that I thought was right, and I've figured out from my mistakes how to to move forward. Um, and so when I and when I did these, I kind of. You forget how fearless you are when you're younger, I think, because I just I didn't really give a shit. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just go for it. And then I was astonished when, every, apart from one person, uh, every single person that I did t-shirts about actually thanked me for doing it. Mm, so I got one complaint. <laughs> uh, I've since been sued by numerous people for different t-shirts, but uh, <laughs> currently uh, in a legal wrangle with someone. Um, But, um, yeah, these, because I think that, you know, what we were talking about, these were an authentic, Mm. there was like a love letter to these people, you know, this was kind of like my way of showing my fandom and my adoration for them. And it was, you know, I would never write a slogan that was ever mean, Mm. although there is some good ones that have come up over the years, (laughs) Um, but I would never write one that was kind of like, uh, you know, mean or or, or sort of not positive or negative Mm. about anyone. Um, And so I think that, authenticity behind the approach to them is what made them uh, resonate with people. Mm. Yeah. I've actually forgotten the question. Have I gone completely no, off track? Yeah,
0: exactly. Ba- I was basically looking for gossip and seeing if people were offended the second time. Around. Oh, yeah, that was it. Second time <laughs> round. No, or, uh, no, you know, I actually just, got the back. nicest
1: one was um, uh, Alessandro Michele from Gucci wrote me a thank you letter. The minute he saw it, which That's was quite amazing. nice. Yeah, I was like, he could have thrown in a couple of pairs of jeans and a yeah.
0: jumper. <laughs> While well, you're at it.
1: <laughs> I, I was happy with it being yeah. a thank you letter, not a legal letter. I
0: was, yeah, I was going to say. Um,
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, but the second time, nobody complained. Mm. No one.
0: I was going to say, they've got, they're quite iconic now. So mm. maybe it's a compliment
1: yeah, to the well. Yeah, I'm not gonna say that, you said that. <laughs> um, that's way to concede too conceited. Um, yeah, and also I did a project with, the second time around I did a project with Katie Grant from Love Magazine, which definitely helped um, because she got all of the girls wearing them. And, um, and and so, I think when Katie Grant gives you a gift, if you're a model, you, you know to take it with yeah. both hands. Yeah, definitely.
0: You make the most of that opportunity. Yes. <laughs> um, so, when we first met, it was at your fashion and motion show at the VA. Yes. Um, and you showed me um, a dress that originally kind of sparked my idea of um, begging you to do this event. Yes. Which is that you looked, um, we were looking at a dress that you'd done, um, kind of, it had like a almost a patchwork design. I think you explained that it was crochet. crochet yeah. Exactly, that you digitally scanned a crochet. Yes. Cetera, yeah. I would be interested to hear how your um, approaches or techniques have changed. So going from this and it being about witticisms or yeah. about knowledge of the industry, through yeah. to now it being more technical knowledge.
1: Yeah. Um, well, again, that is pro- like in. In hindsight and looking back on it it, it, it feels like it's kind of quite a clever idea and technical knowledge. In reality, it's a complete lack of knowledge of print design, and so I scanned a blanket yeah. <laughs> and put it into a repeat yeah. and I printed it. Um, and you know, and also uh, for that same collection, it was um, it was kind of this sort of crazy old ladies. We did this collection about. Um, and so we scanned a crochet blanket and turned that into a print. And then we also did our own Harris tweeds mm-hmm. um, and, it, and we scanned those as well and did photographic digital prints of the tweeds onto silks to just give us that same herringbone kind of really authentic uh, uh, feeling, but in much lighter weight fabrics with drapery and, you know, being able to utilize it in different fabrications and different executions. Um, and, and yeah, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's about <coughs> that learning curve, every single season working in a different technique or with a different fabrication or, you know, a different uh, route to get to the end product is always uh, a learning curve and teaches mm. you so much about um, a different idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in hindsight, it's, it seems like a, quite a clever thing to do, I suppose, yeah. but it was really just... And A necessity because yeah. it was kind of like we wanted to create we did try and create it digitally like the you know uh tradition you know all of the multicolor crochet sort of square uh traditional prints and we tried to create it digitally and it just felt so flat and it just didn't feel like um you know the the vibrancy was there in the colors but it just looked really fake and um so we yeah we decided to to do uh, scans and photographic prints, and it was kind of at that time when people were starting to just work with digital print, because um, yeah, that was kind of sort of the beginning of my uh, um, sort of design career. Uh, it was that real kind of explosion of digital print. You know, designers like Peter or America Transu, really working um, in that medium really well and utilizing the fact, you know, the infinite number of colours that you can use, and you know still not an infinite uh, number of fabrics they're still really tricky with treating the right ones but um yeah it was um, it was a, it was an interesting process that and then I liked that collection mm,
0: with those experiments and that kind of growing design base and technique mm. space in mind do you keep an archive of your own work
1: I do yeah I keep one of everything and mm. I've just done a big clear out and thrown loads of it away not uh, because we were keeping one of every because we have the show collection um, which is usually around like somewhere between 25 and 35 looks which will walk on the catwalk and then we, we interpret that collection for the showroom and so we have more commercial pieces that are you know sure. much less um, design led and you know much more kind of uh, commercial pieces and then I found out that we were storing and paying to store like one of everything meaning like every single like sock. (laughs) So um, I didn't need stuff. (laughs) So I just cleared everything out apart from the runway looks. Um, So yeah, I do keep one of everything. Um, And it's actually, it's, it's rare that we'll go to the archive physically without first looking at the imagery and we'll often just go straight to the pattern work that we've done from previous collections rather than actually get the pieces out. Um, I think because because I I remember the processes and the, and you know the way that we did things. Yeah, so, it's
0: more like you need a cue, rather. Than yeah,
1: yeah. So we'll often <coughs> revisit collections th- uh, through imagery, through lookbooks and things, and um, and then we'll we'll work on the patterns.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that a hard editing process going through your own your own archive? Yeah,
1: you? it was hard, especially when you see some things that you hold very precious and they're not sort of very nicely, uh, packaged away. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, there's a couple of pieces, actually, like the final look for my first ever show we sold for a charity a few years ago. Uh, there's, and I think there's another one that we've, we've auctioned off for another project. Um, so yeah, it's, it is quite a hard process. And also it's really weird how much um, like garments can really sort of trigger memories like like an exact moment in your personal life where you were i was like oh that's when i broke up with that person that's when i was really miserable
0: (laughs) ah those were the days yeah (laughs) yeah um how about personally do you collect anything
1: um well do you know i went through a a Period of collecting Stephen Sprouse clothes um, because I'm a huge fan and I absolutely love his work, um, and so I went through this period of like buying it all up on eBay, um, and then again realized that it, like I wasn't doing anything with it and it was kind of a shame. And I want like I didn't want to just have these pieces sat in a box somewhere, so um, I sort to Stephen at Relic. <laughs> Anybody wants it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I got rid of I got rid of that. But I, I collect uh, Richard Bernstein uh, interview mm-hmm. covers. Um, so like from, I think he did 17, from 1979 to 1983, he did all of the lithograph covers for Interview magazine. Um, and so I collect those. I've got lots of those in the studio and at home. i got one signed by Andy Warhol and Truman Capote. Amazing. Oh, Dindy Lauper, I think. Lovely.
0: So those pop references are still in there?
1: Yes. Yeah, they did an exhibition of uh, the originals a few years ago, and I really wanted one, but they were 20 grand. Yeah. So I bought a magazine. I bought a magazine <laughs> instead of <laughs> mine.
0: Um, terribly unprofessionally, before we move on to the third section, mm. um, I forgot to put my watch on. So, would you mind being our timekeeper? Oh, yeah, sure. What are we doing?
1: Uh, It's five past seven.
0: Ah, oh, fabulous. Right, we've got time for the third section and then uh, on to questions. So, now, having looked at your object and having kind of looked at your background, I'd like to talk in a bit more detail about House of Holland and your approaches. Yes. Um, first of all, again, this is maybe something that I can say and that, and that you can't, and, yes. and, uh, but I think that your brand is so sort of synonymous with your identity and your scene and, and kind of your approachability within the industry. Um, so I find it really interesting that your brand name almost places it at one remove, takes out the Henry, mm. and puts it in the house. Yes. Um, I would be interested to know what like, affected that decision. Um, it's a
1: really embarrassing story oh though.
0: sorry <laughs> we can now, move swiftly no on. no no it's quite <laughs> funny um, i was
1: as i said i was working at smash hits uh and i was uh trying to come up with an idea for this t-shirt brand that i'd had an idea for and i got a press release in the post for beyonce's clothing line called house of derion <laughs> <laughs> and i was like lol let's call it house of holland because uh, <laughs> Because she, basically, my career's a joke. So, uh, because she'd named it House of Darion after her grandmother, and I was like, oh. And then it was this joke, so I was like, let's call it House of Holland, and it kind of stuck. And here we are, still with House of Holland. Um, and again, like so many things that I've talked about already tonight, they're kind of these happy accidents that in hindsight, Seem like really well thought out um, ideas because I actually like the name. I really love the name. Oh, there's more pictures. I actually really like the name now because I think it creates this idea of inclusivity. And you know, I love working in collaboration with so many different people, and I've done that from really early on. Um, you know, from from some of my first shows, I've always collaborated with other people on uh, accessories or footwear or, or jewelry or you know or, or bags and things like that. And I think that openness to collaboration and you know not professing to be like the master of everything and you know being able to create an entire collection yourself especially when I you know I hadn't come from that background um, I actually think the name re- works really well for that and it feels and I want to create with with the brand I want to create this uh, you know inclusive welcoming sort of world that people want to be a part of and want to buy into um, and I think the name actually does do that. Like, God, because it was a joke. <laughs>
0: Another joke that's paid off. So yeah, it's all yeah. Okay. And um, that leads me on perfectly because <laughs> I was also. Um, I'll follow you on lots of social media channels. Obviously, you're incredibly. Um, again, rude. No, rude. Yeah, but uh, I'd say I was going to use the word brash, but I don't know if that's even quite what you would you'd yeah. go with. Which I think is really, really refreshing. It doesn't feel like a really refined feed being fed. By I know. I keep else. being told I need to be from.
1: more refined on my feed. No, <laughs> I don't like, think that's an interest. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I'm a, I'm a real believer in social media needs to be used. What social media is used for. And I think, you know, if you're going to try and get people to buy jumpers on Twitter, you also need to tell them what you have for breakfast <laughs> or, you know, or that you just woke up and barefoot went down to make a coffee and stood in a dog poo. I think <laughs> I've definitely <laughs> tweeted that. Um, so, you know, I think people respond to social media as long as it's being used, used in the right way. That's why people hate Facebook now, because it's just bombarded with bo- bombard I mean, everyone looks at memories, obviously, it's the best part, um, but I, you know, you're just being bombarded with so many commercial messages, and I think people have kind of lost sight of what social networks were about and what they were used for, and what made what made them so attractive in the first place. You know, I loved Twitter, and I was a real early adopter, and, um, and you know, I really used to tweet all the time, and I loved it. I don't really do it anymore, <laughs> but um, I loved. Again, it was, it, was, it was a words thing, it was a writing mm-hmm. thing, you know, it was being able to tell people. You know this whole thing yeah. at the moment about like Instagram versus reality? Like Twitter, uh, Twitter was amazing because you could just tell everyone total lies and like yeah. you didn't even have to have a picture to prove it. <laughs> you could be like, lol, sat on my private jet with Kylie Jenner. <laughs> and like, You didn't have to Instagram a picture about it, people yeah. would believe you. Um, <laughs> So it was just a really, it was a really fun way to use language as well Mm -hmm. to like sort of portray humor and, and personality, which I think, you know, people tend to lose sight of as well. I think Instagram is just being so, uh, sort of becoming so sanitized because again, it's becoming so commercialized. Mm -hmm. So I quite, I, I sort of try to balance it a bit.
0: Yeah, that's nice. I feel like being a communicator and humour seems to be like the running theme in a lot of your answers. Yeah, I, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I kind of operate in a, in a space where I need to be enjoying myself. Mm. I like to enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So... It, you know i i and i, and I also think that, you know that's one of the main codes of our brand is that you know it's this kind of fun playful humorous you know there's there's a real tone and a real personality to my to my designs and i think that's something that has to sort of you know infuse across all that we do
0: yeah and it allows you to create a community i would imagine yeah
1: yeah it does and it gives you a real it gives you a real sense of who we are as a brand i think you know there's so many people that are identity associated certain uh you know visual styles or fabrication styles or like uh you know design executions um which i think it can be quite restrictive you know i think actually um m- making your DNA be about something like as broad as like tone and humor and, and a playful sort of sense of being is something that you can really adopt to different situations and tell different stories with so plus my brain. And only concentrate on anything for about three months max. So that's why, you know, my collections often explore different ideas. That's
0: nice, yeah. So again we're back to storytelling. So yeah. you am gonna head into film at any time soon I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um well I think we should open to questions quite soon. So I'm gonna round back onto a later question. Originally um originally we were gonna host tonight in Hackney and I was really excited. Oh yeah
1: we were weren't yeah, we and I was, I like, was excited because I live there but
0: Yeah so exactly you're gonna stroll over you sent and
1: Addison Lee, some yeah. over it. <laughs> yeah. Dodge <laughs> my phone, it. it was fine. <laughs>
0: I know, I really liked the kind of, the idea that you're just going to stroll on over, so Yeah, great. I was hoping you'd bring your dog. but
1: Well, I did have to go home early to drop her off. <laughs> ah.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, so we were going to host it in Hackney. Yes. And one of the drives of that was obviously that's such a part of um, both your personal life, but also your <clears throat> professional practice. Yeah. Um, since we haven't been able to bring that to the audience tonight, yeah. I thought it'd be great if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Affects your work.
1: Well, when I first started uh, my business, <clears throat> Um, my first office was in Denmark Street in Soho, and I lived in Primrose Hill, and I was constantly called an East London designer, and I was like, this is embarrassing, because <laughs> I'm a total fraud. Like, I live in, with, in Primrose Hill with yummy mummies, and like, <laughs> walk through Regent's Park to work. <laughs> um, but then I did succumb to Hackney about uh, six years ago, both uh, personally and professionally, we moved everything. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, but then I suppose, you know, there's so much about my uh, work is still inspired by, the, you know, the, the district. Is it district, I'm going to call it county, it's not that big, <laughs> uh, the area. Um, and, you know, the, these t-shirts were born out of uh, a kind of club culture and a a very, luckily, very short period in time called New Rave when we all dressed like idiots. (laughs) But um, that was, you know, it was very much about this whole scene and and this whole sort of, this world, this creative, this world of creatives that I'd never experienced before. And when I first moved to London and I found them, it sounds like, it's kind of Peter Panish, doesn't it? But like when I first moved to London and I found these kind of nightclubs and these uh, parties where all of these people were dressing like they were and, listening to the music that they were and dancing that they were was just so inspiring to me and I think you know the people uh, that live in and work in Hackney is just that this such an eclectic mix of people it's it's why I love London so much and I think it's like Hackney is a sort of microcosm of that Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so many people living side by side and working and creating and it's just—it's an amazing place to just walk around and copy what people are wearing. as yeah.
0: well. I was going to say, so useful. it's a um, you know a fulfilling cycle, I suppose. Yeah. You're taking inspiration from your surroundings, but then you're probably also so inspiring yourself.
1: Yeah. De- well, you definitely take yeah, inspiration from your surroundings. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I think it is sad, like you know, the, there's not the same sort of nightlife. That there was. I don't know if I'm just old and I, and I just don't know what it is anymore, and I'm just <laughs> not into grime, so I don't go out. But I just, I, I do think that that sense of community just isn't there in the same way that it was. Like Boombox was, you know, this really unique place that. Um, you would go every single week, and it was a Sunday as well. I can't imagine going out and getting wasted on a Sunday now. Uh, it was on a Sunday, and you know you would know everybody in there. And you know it's where like the stylist that I still work with, I asked her to start working with me at the Bar and Boombox. You know the jewelry designer that I collaborated with. You know the handbag designers and the footwear designers that I worked with. They were all friends from that environment. Gareth and Giles, were all friends from that nightclub, and. Um, I've when I've done talks similar to this in the past, I call it the night shift. And I think, you know, it's as important as, you know, studying hard and working hard on your practice and and focusing on what it is you need to actually go out and experience life and like and meet people and like as gross as the word is, but like networking happens, but it it happens organically and naturally. And uh, I think, you know, there's. As much inspiration on the dance floor as there is anywhere else, you know, and I think it's very important to to go out there and be an experi. You know, if you're designing clothes for people, and you need to go and experience those situations with them, and you need to go and be in those environments, and it just it kind of gets your headspace in the right place, um, and that's where my my design sort of career started. Yeah.
0: I think that's an amazing note to to close on. So thank you very much. Could you all, before we start questions, join me in thanking Henry.
1: (laughs) Somebody's really rustling,
0: aren't they? So if it's okay with you, Henry, we will now take a few questions from Flood. i have got two very glamorous assistants who are going to run around with microphones if anyone needs one. Um, So who should we start with? Who's got a question? You'll be next.
1: <laughs> just really testing. Yeah, fun. yeah really You're getting a
0: workout there. <laughs> Made I come all the way up here. Um, <clears throat> hi. By hi. The way, it's nice I can't to meet you. see you. But um, I was just going to ask, as a creative myself, I find I have like quite strange rituals before I start creating. Do you have anything that you'd maybe consider either not strange or very strange that you have to do before you go into the design process?
1: That's a really good question. And actually, I want you to just come and sit here and I can interview you. What rituals?
0: <laughs> you don't want to know. Do
1: you, like, tap the door frame and turn the light on six times. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's such a condition. No. I <laughs> um, I, um, do I have any strange rituals? Um, I don't, you know. Um, I think my, my, my... People talk about, you know, writer's block or the equivalent. And... People ask about if I ever run out of ideas and struggle with collections, and it's kind of kind of the opposite. Like I have ideas sort of queued up in my head for a collection to exercise them, I suppose. And um, and so, yeah, often once once it's time to start working, you know, really boringly, someone sits down and tells me by this date she needs concept inspiration, and then I'll sort of uh, I'll sort of get it to her by then. But I sort of have these ideas ready in in my mind, so I it's almost kind of like a continuous uh, process because we'll be work- there's, there's an, always an overlap between collections, you know, we, we, we'll be finishing one off when we start the next one. And so I don't really have a start and finish point. You know, they kind of just all blend into one. But tell me some of your rituals. Just tell me one.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You brought I'm trying this to think of something that's so. not massively weird now. But <laughs> like, <laughs> if I'm doing my work in my bedroom, I have to have my fairy lights on no matter what time of day it is. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but
1: that's not a ritual. That's just ambiance. Yeah, mood lighting. <laughs> that's just selfie lighting. <laughs> See, if you had Twitter, you wouldn't need that. You could just tell everyone.
0: <laughs>
1: so. Great.
0: Uh, next question. Lady in the lovely headdress down here. If that's-
1: Really warm it's
0: in here. Yeah, it's pretty it's hot. hot. I think it's the lights.
1: I not.. It's self the
0: lights. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi. hi. So I, Is this on? I um, run a young creative platform, so it's just to help um, young creatives navigate their way through fashion. Yeah. Um, for somebody that didn't study design, yeah. what are some tips that you can give those choosing to get to go at it alone um, without a degree? Or going into um, higher education, yeah. and what is one vital lesson that you learn whilst building your business?
1: Okay, two questions, but that. Sorry. Let off. <laughs> <laughs> um, first question: um, My advice would be to be go out and try as much as you can. Try and get experience. I know it's it's really difficult to like go and work for free, and you know do internships and things like that which is why i tried to do as many as i could when i was still at university and i was getting you know student loans and all those things to help me pay my way through um but i think even if you have an idea in mind of one area of the industry that is for you i think you should just go just be really open to experience because i think you'll learn so much um, and you'll start to build a kind of picture of you know the right place for you like when you know i went to teen magazines because you know my sister had a friend in the advertising department and they had a fashion department so i was like fine i'll go and make tea and you know that was my first job that was my first career and i absolutely adored it and i think you know i was i was just really open to different areas and different ideas and i think um you know try to remain open until the very last moment until you actually decide, you know, exactly what it is that you want to do. Because there's actually, however much you study and however much you look into a certain industry and a certain career path, there's always going to be another area of it that you're not going to know until you experience it for yourself. And so I think it's really important to try lots of different things. And your second question, (laughs) um, one piece of advice. Um, I think it would always just to be to stay true And authentic to what it is you started off with in the first place, because I think people will recognise that. And I think um, it's very difficult in fashion, in particular, to sort of change with the sort of trends and the mood of the time. And I think you have to kind of remain very true and 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 authentic to what it is that you set out to to say through your work. And that's probably one thing you need. going back to your first question, uh, would be about, you know, work out what it is you want to say with your work, because that's not something that anyone can ever detract from. Mm -hmm. You have to remember that fashion is like art and it's very objective. And, you know, one person's favorite piece is somebody else's absolute hatred. But, you know, you can never make something that every single person in the world is going to love. But if you always stay true and authentic to what it is that you set out to say in the first place, nobody can detract from that. coming from someone who's had some very bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we've got another question at the front basically. Okay. How
1: are we doing for time? Oh, yeah, sorry. It, it's 25. That no, so we've got a couple more in order to How did you deal with rejection before becoming successful? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, from this institution in particular... <laughs> <laughs> um, <It's> very inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what I find, uh, and I did... I've always used rejection or criticism as a driving as a driving force as, and as an inspiration. I'm fiercely competitive uh, with myself, I think more than anybody else as well. And so I think for me being told no is really like a red rag to a bull and it's me, and then that is my way of being like, that's my next task is to prove that, is t- till that person says yes. So. That's so why I'm a massive oversharer because I'm just desperate for people to like me. <laughs> um, but it's uh yeah, I, I try to use, I try to turn rejection into uh, motivation, I think. And I think it can be a really like it can be a really driving uh, force. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. oh sorry. Oh. Here you <laughs> Hi Henry, thank Hi. you so much for the speech tonight and I've got our own PR agency, uh, we help UK brands expand to the China market yes. and I find it quite interesting the translation of House of Holland yes. in Chinese yes. actually means House of Netherlands. Yes, So uh, that's why they wouldn't approve my trademark, <laughs> 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 true story, <laughs> they thought I was trying to trademark the country. Uh, yes. So I'm just wondering, how do you think of the China market? And does your brands consider expanding to the China market? Yeah. Well, yes, we're opening our first flagship retail in China uh, late this year. Yeah, we do. We we work in China. It's always been a market that's been quite receptive to um, our designs from quite early on. Um, we work with uh, distribution and sales out of Hong Kong, and, and they manage mainland China for us as well. And we've done some projects with, uh, the jeans, uh based in based in in mainland China and Hong Kong as well. So yeah, I think there there's uh, an element of what we do that works really well for that for that market.
0: Uh, and then we just, have one more. For yeah, that lady up, yeah. has been mm-hmm. waiting. So. Um, so you've created these awesome T-shirts with uh, designers' names on and slogans for yeah. um, all these designers. If you were to create a T-shirt with your name on and a slogan for you, oh, what It's would it so
1: be? annoying because I literally <laughs> decided on this concept and then realised my name is like orange, orange. Like, <laughs> neither of my names rhyme with anything. Like, I have rhymezone.net. I've tried. <laughs> like, it's... I mean, I've done... For the first ever show, we did Who Needs a Husband? I've Got House of Holland, but it's tenuous. It's not great. Um, uh, yes. You would have thought somebody would. Yeah, I know. No. So, um, oh, somebody did make You're So Bland House of Holland once. That was nice. <laughs> Sweet. Um, uh, which actually is probably the best rhyme that everyone's ever managed. Oh, which is probably why I didn't do it. Yeah, no, it's really difficult, annoyingly, to rhyme my name with anything. Um, So I've never done it apart from with those ones I just said, which is a shame. I should have thought of that before I came up with this idea. But you know, I never, it was, yeah, just, it was, the concept was always just about showing my appreciation for others rather than wearing my own name. I'll have to
0: think of one and get back to you. Yeah, (laughs) okay.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll be waiting <laughs> with a screen printer yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and on some name tags <laughs> <laughs> on that rather ominous <laughs> <side>. <laughs> um, can everyone join me once again in thanking Henry very much Thank you